0: In the 139th Psalm, starting in the 13th verse, the psalmist paints a beautiful picture of the creation and the manifestation of life. He says, Before I formed you, I have formed your inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. When I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were numbered for me, when as yet there were none. And it's a great thing to know that the God we serve has indeed fearfully and wonderfully created each and every one of us with our own special purpose in this earth. And it's great to be here this morning to be able to worship and serve that wonderful creator God. And I'm happy to be here today to worship with you all. It's such a blessing to be able to come and worship with brethren in different areas and get to know different people. So I'm glad to be here. If you would like to turn with me to Jeremiah, the first chapter, that's where I will begin today. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4 and we will read through verse number 10. Jeremiah 1, verse 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. and Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Using that text this morning, I would like to speak with you all on the very simple subject of excuses. In this text, we see that the prophet Jeremiah had an excuse and we all have excuses. In this passage, we see that God calls on Jeremiah to prophesy to the nations. He tells him that he knew him from the very beginning of time That he was going to use him to fulfill his mission. But we see Jeremiah reply to God in verse 6. He tells God, I don't know how to speak. I am just a youth. And we see God reply to him in verse 7. Don't tell me that you are a youth. Don't tell me that you can't speak. Because everywhere I tell you to go, you will go. And everything that I tell you to say, you will say. And it's almost humorous. Here, it, here God is, the creator of this universe, telling this simple man, Jeremiah, his plan for him. And Jeremiah's like, God, I can't do it. And we see God, yes, you are, Jeremiah. I'm Jehovah God. I created you. I made you. And that's, that leads me to the first point in today's lesson. And that is, when we make excuses about our own personal ability and potential, we discredit and undermine the potential and the power of God. When we make excuses about our own personal ability and potential, we discredit and undermine the potential and the power of God. We are all imperfect people, but despite our imperfections, we were made by a perfect creator. And this master creator has formed each and every one of us with our own special purpose before we knew who we were. The Bible tells us, In Isaiah, the 45th chapter, Isaiah chapter 45, starting in verse 9, he paints a picture of the supremacy of God. Isaiah 45, verse 9, the Bible reads, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, To what are you giving birth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker, Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their host. We see here that it is God who has created us and it's God who has created everything in this earth. And it's foolish of us to make excuses to question God and not fulfill the mission which he has set before us. Imperfect people must rely on a perfect God and that's completely okay. In this text in Jeremiah chapter one, God tells Jeremiah three different things to help Jeremiah rely upon God. And the first thing he tells him is found in verse 8 of the passage. Verse 8 of the passage says, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. In this text, we see that God tells Jeremiah not to be afraid of people. And as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid of people, because God is with us. The Lord is our rod, and he is our staff. He often sets our table before us in the presence of our enemies, we're often put in situations where we're guaranteed to have oppressors, we're guaranteed to be laughed at, mocked, abused, ridiculed, left out of things. But the Bible tells us that's expected of a Christian. It tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 12, that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In our passage this morning, we see that God would send forth Jeremiah in the presence of his, of his enemies. We know that Jeremiah was beaten, he was thrown in prison. We see that he was thrown in a well, and God was with him the the whole way through. He was blessed throughout his entire life. And likewise, as Christians, if we put our faith and confidence in God, he will also be with us in the end. In verse 9 of Jeremiah chapter 1, we read of the second thing that God tells Jeremiah. The text says, Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So we see here that God would give Jeremiah all that he needed to say. And today the Christian can be happy because God still gives us all that we need to say through the Word of God. The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. When we are put in situations, where we are cha- our faith is being challenged, we have the Word of God. When, when we come across a situation where we can help someone or we can teach someone the gospel, we can rely upon the Word of God. The Word of God directs us in all things. And the Bible tells us that we must study to show ourselves approved workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth, Second Timothy 2.15. And that just goes to show that we need to be in the Word of God daily every single day. And it's a shame that there are many people out here in the world who can tell you anything there is to know about any type of current event or philosophy, but they can't tell you a single thing about the kingdom of God. Or they can tell you anything about any athlete on a football team or a baseball team, but they can't tell you anything about Jesus Christ. That's a shame. That ought not to be so. We should be scholars in the Word of God. We need to be stewards of the Word of God. Finally, God tells Jeremiah the third thing in verse 10 of the text. Jeremiah chapter 1, and verse 10 says, See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. We see God would set Jeremiah over the nations and over the kingdoms. And today, God has set the Christian over the nations and over the kingdoms. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 tells us that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen race. We, we have been set apart from worldliness and worldly desires. And we also have a mission to pluck up, to break down, to build, and to destroy. This world is a corrupt place, but as Christians, we must uproot this sinful world into a righteous state. And in Acts chapter 17, we read of how the apostles turned the world upside down. We see that they were uprooting and they were breaking down and destroying. But we know that they didn't just stop there. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the scriptures say that 3,000 souls were saved. We must have that same kind of mindset. 3,000 souls were added into the kingdom of God with this servant mindset of the apostles so we should do likewise. The church is made up of many different people with many different talents and many different abilities, but we must find where we fit in. We can't just sit back and allow others to do all of the work. We have to try new things, take advantage of new opportunities, look to others for, for help when we need assistance. But we can't remain stagnant. There's too much work to be done. In our passage in Jeremiah chapter 1, we read of how Jeremiah tells God, I can't, because X, Y, and Z. But God expects all Christians' response to be, I can, because God made us. And that just leads me to the second part of our lesson. We've talked about excuses. We've talked about how there's no room for excuses. Now I would like to talk about, as Christians, there is nothing that we can do or say to permit sin. Excuses simply push God out of the way to make room for our sins. Excuses simply push God out of the way to make room for our sins. In the latter part of the book of Jeremiah, we see how his perspective changes as it relates to his dealings with the people. He's not questioning God, he's not making excuses, but we see him fulfilling the mission which God set forth for him to fulfill. And in chapter 42 of the text, we read of a situation in his life where he warns the Israelites not to go into Egypt. He tells the Israelites that if they go into Egypt, they will be destroyed and they will be wiped out. But we see in chapter 43 that the Israelites didn't want to listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 43, starting in verse number 1. The text says, But as soon as Jeremiah, whom the Lord their God had sent had finished telling all the people all the words of the Lord their God. That is, all of these words. Azirah, the son of Hoshiah, and Jonanan the son of Cariah, and all of the arrogant men, said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, You are not to enter into Egypt to reside there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, is inciting you against us, to give us over into the hand of the Chaldeans, so they will put us to death or exile us to Babylon. So Jonah, the son of Haria, and all of the commanders of the forces and all of the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to stay in the land of Judah. In this text, we, we see that the Israelites were aware that Jeremiah was a prophet of God. In fact, they came to Jeremiah to request that he ask God what they should do. So they knew that he was a prophet of God. They knew that Jeremiah was telling the truth, and they knew it wouldn't be wise to go into Egypt. But as verse 2 of the text says, that they were so arrogant that they would not allow themselves to believe these truths. We see the people attempted to justify their sins and wrongdoings by branding this man, this prophet of God, a liar. James chapter 4 and verse 16 and 17 tells us, that you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And we often do this sometimes. When we willfully live in sin, don't we sometimes try to justify our sins and wrongdoings? We'll get a little personal this morning. We may, we may find ourselves going to a drinking party. And we say, I'll just go to this drinking party, but I'm not going to drink, because the Bible speaks of drunkenness, and I'm just going, so I'm not sinning. That's an excuse. Or we may even go to the party and say, we'll have one or two beers, and that's not drunk, so we're not in sin. That's an excuse. Or we may make excuses in regards to our sexual purity. We may say, I'll just go this far with my girlfriend, or this far with my boyfriend, but we're, we're not having sex. And the Bible speaks of fornication. And, and that's, not, that's not fornication, so I'm not sinning. That's an excuse. We may make excuses in regards to the things that we say. We may use euphemisms, as we spoke of this morning in Bible class, and, and say those aren't cuss words, so I'm not in sin. Those are also excuses. We see there are many things in life that wouldn't be considered 100% sin, but the question that we should ask ourselves is, is it 100% righteousness. The Bible tells us to avoid the very appearance of evil. If we really took this to heart, we wouldn't fool around with our girlfriends or boyfriends. We wouldn't use euphemisms and we wouldn't go to that drinking party at all. We wouldn't put ourselves in situations that would compromise our righteousness, period. Amen. The sincere Christian striving to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age or resist the devil And the scriptures tell us that he will flee from us. When we attempt to justify our sins, we are being arrogant, much like these Israelites, and considering ourselves superior to God's commands. And if we continue to make excuses, if we continue to live in sin, we'll ultimately be wiped out, just like these Israelites were in the time of Jeremiah. We must take heed, lest we fall. My freshman year of college, I decided to join a fraternity. And if you know anything about fraternities, you know it's not just such a matter of joining. You have to pledge. You spend days and nights learning all of this fraternity history and different quotes and things that your, what we call, big brothers force you to learn. And you would stay up all night reciting all of this. And oftentimes, you just wouldn't feel like reciting it. And what our big brothers would ask us whenever we made these excuses, they would say, what are excuses? and we would all have to answer in unison, excuses are tools of the weak and incompetent, used to build monuments of nothing. Those who specialize in excuses are seldom good for anything. Excuses, excuses, excuses. And that statement really stuck with me. No one wants to be weak, no one wants to be incompetent, and no one wants to be good for nothing. But when we make excuses, we're all of those things. And being a Christian is a life or death situation. And when we have been buried in the watery grave of baptism, rising forth as Christians, we have pledged our lives to Christ. And the Christian life will not always be easy. And we may grow weary. It will be hard. But we've got to keep going. If you take your relationship with God and your eternal salvation seriously, you are going to do whatever it takes to be productive in the kingdom of God, and you are going to do whatever it takes to be right before God. Those who make excuses are not productive in the kingdom of God. Those who make excuses are seldomly good for anything. And when you aren't good for anything, you stand for nothing. To live a good-for-nothing life is to live a life that has taken advantage of the Savior of the world. To live a good-for-nothing life is to live a life that has neglected so great a salvation to live a good-for-nothing life is a complete waste of time. We should make our lives useful this morning, stop making excuses, and get to work. Stop allowing our sins to hold us back from the mission which God has set forth for us to fulfill. And you may be sitting here this morning and wondering, what is that mission? The mission is, there's many missions that we must fulfill. One of those is we must be the salt of the earth. We must be a light in a dark world. And we must also preach the gospel to all creation. Mark chapter 16 verse 15 tells us to preach the gospel to all creation. That means everyone. We must preach the gospel to to the bagger at the favorite grocery store. We must tell the gospel to our waiter at our favorite restaurant. Teachers need to hear the gospel. Doctors need to hear the gospel. Attorneys need to hear the gospel. The Baptist church down the road They need to hear the gospel. Everyone needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel to all creation and be a light in this dark world and be the salt of the earth. It's up to us to preserve this earth because we are Christians, God's chosen people, set apart from this world, set apart from worldly desires. We have to fulfill this mission. To conclude, in Jeremiah the 19th chapter, Jeremiah prophesies to the Israelites that due to their wickedness, they will utterly be destroyed. God would wipe them out completely. Times would be so bad that the city would resort to cannibalism. And one of the priests didn't like this prophecy too much. And he has Jeremiah beaten and thrown into prison. But despite all of this, we see that Jeremiah continues to prophesy destruction. He tells this priest that he, his whole household, and all of his friends would utterly die by the sword. And in Jeremiah the 20th chapter, after he makes this prophecy, he makes what I like to call the beautiful complaint. Jeremiah chapter 20, starting in verse 7. The text says, Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. We read in Jeremiah chapter 1 how Jeremiah tried to make any excuse possible to get out of serving God. And then in this text in Jeremiah the 20th chapter, we see that he cannot help but proclaim God's word. It's shut up in his heart and in his bones. And and that's the way every Christian should be in this world. The word of God should be so shut up in our hearts and in our bones that we grow weary of holding it in. And we shouldn't hold it in. The Bible tells us in Romans, the 10th chapter, starting in the 14th, 14th verse, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without this Franklin Church of Christ? They can't hear. It's up to us just preach the gospel to all creation. And then the text concludes by saying, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. We see the gospel is a beautiful thing because the gospel brings peace. The Bible tells us that the gospel is a peace that surpasses all comprehension. And in order to have this peace that surpasses all comprehension, you must be a child of God. If you haven't become a child of God, there's no greater time to do so than today. You can have your sins washed away in the watery grave of baptism, living each and every day for Jesus Christ. And one day you will be able to be caught up in the clouds with Jesus to meet him in the air. If you would like to become a child of God this morning, please come to the front while we stand and sing the song of invitation. Mm -hmm.